joining us for another episode of Ghastly Girls. My name is Delaney. I'm Linda. And my name is Ainsley. You all know what time it is. It's happy time brought to you by the happy broadcast on Instagram. So my happy news post is recognizing that food is medicine. A Boston hospital built an organic farm on its roof that provides 6,000 pounds of veggies a year for patients and staff. Which I think is amazing that is brilliant that is yeah brilliant right yeah so much wasted roof space you might as well put a garden on it honestly and just like so incredible yeah that they're feeding patients with it like that's fresh vegetables yeah which all organic i'm sure is so good for you yeah doesn't get much better than that honestly like hospital food everywhere sucks so if i could be eating fresh vegetables somewhere i'll take it that is true So mine is that in Ireland, there's a Dublin boy club that encourages men to share their real feelings to explore healthy masculinity, and it offers a safe place to be vulnerable, which I think is adorable. That is really amazing, especially with like everything going on right now with like men's mental health being like at the forefront of everything. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's really smart, a really good idea. Yeah. It's definitely a good place to start for guys to then go out and maybe their friends that aren't in the boys club they can so i found one from the happy broadcast average global life expectancy was just over 52 years in 1960 and has now increased to 72 years oh my god that is jump i guess that makes sense though with technology and how much honestly yes yeah changed before you get a nail like a deep cut and it gets infected and while well, you're dead but <laughs> and whoa you're dead <laughs> we have antibiotics and such <laughs> <laughs> okay so are you guys ready to hear my story oh let's do it i am Okay, so my story is called A Demon Named Frank, and of course, it's from our favorite, Creepy Pasta, and it is from R.M. Danforth. Okay, so here we go. My son, Richie, was almost three years old, with beautifully thick, curly brown hair that seemed to hang in place flawlessly without any serious effort. He was growing, healthy, and happy child, with rapidly developing vocabulary as any parent would hope for. That, however, was before Frank seeped into our lives. Before Frank, the boy loved talking anyone's ear off, running around like a maniac and putting on superhero masks while pretending to fight bad guys. That's why when he first started talking about the monster, I never thought much of it, as it's expected for children his age to start developing an overactive imagination. Daddy, do you see the monster? Richie said for what must be the seventh time in the past couple weeks. Yeah, buddy, I replied with that encouraging yet slightly sarcastic voice that parents make when talking to young children. I can see him. What's his name, Daddy? Uh, Frank, I told him, lazily splouting out the name, the first generic name that popped into my mind. Richie then rambled off to the next subject 
and talked about something like Spider-Man or Ninja Turtles beating up bad guys. You know, typical little boy stuff. The Frank sightings seemed to escalate from there. Richie would ask me or his mother if we could see Frank over there standing in the corner or mention that Frank was in his room last night. It was at this point that I started to feel a bit of concern. It didn't seem to be a huge deal, but it was starting to get a bit, well, off-putting. Frank was never playing. He was just there. I decided to ask Richie some questions about what I believed to be his imaginary friend he called Frank, but I'd wait until the next time he brought it up on his own. The opportunity arose one day as I picked him up from daycare when we were driving home. He mentioned that Frank was there at the sandbox. Is Frank your friend? I asked. No, he responded. Frank is a monster. A monster? Yeah, Frank is a monster. He's a nice monster, though. He looks funny. Deciding to dig a little deeper, I asked. Does Frank play with you? No. Well, then what does he do? Frank watches us. He said it with a matter-of-fact demeanor that left me even more unsure of this weird situation. I'm a young first-time parent in my mid-twenties, and I have no idea how to handle this imaginary friend situation. Should a parent play along or be more realistic? I really didn't want to hinder that development of his imagination, but I also wasn't sure how far I felt comfortable with this going. Sometimes he talks, Richie continued after a short pause. At night, when everyone is asleep. Oh great, he's dreaming about Frank too. Well, uh, what does Frank like to talk about? He said we shouldn't move to a new house. What did he just say? That last shocking sentence made me feel unsettled at best. We were getting ready to put our townhouse on the market as we are ready to upgrade to a larger home. The weird thing is, my wife and I hadn't spoken to her son about this. We were waiting to tell him until we had found the house we wanted to purchase to make the situation easier for a toddler to grasp. Feeling creeped out and somewhat awkward, I immediately changed the subject and asked Richie if he wanted a cookie. It may be a cheap trick, but any child would immediately forget about anything in that moment when you bring up possibility of a cookie. Although the subject had been changed, my mind began to wander. Was my son speaking with some sort of ghost? I believed that ghosts might exist, but I had never seen any sort of significant proof. How did he know we were moving? Later that night, after Richie was in bed, I explained to my wife the conversation that had taken place in the car. She, however, seemed unfazed and somewhat skeptical. She blew it off by saying, Oh, I'm sure he just overheard us. That kid never goes to bed and is more attentive than you think. I suddenly realized how insane it must have sounded to think that some sort of ghost was speaking with our child. It almost seemed funny to look back and realize that I was actually worried. Perhaps in my belief in the paranormal had caused me to jump into conclusions too easily without any real rationality. I was a first-time parent after all, with almost no previous experience dealing with small developing children. I reminded myself to calm down and stay rational. Things carried along, business as usual, for the next several weeks. Richie's mentions of Frank varied from one to three times a day. I simply played along with the boy and his stories of his imaginary friend. We packed our things and moved to our new house, which came with a wonderful swing set for Richie. In this house, I felt certain that this would be our forever home. 
I believed that we would be happy here. It had been three weeks since we had moved in. We had just celebrated Richie's third birthday. The boy was flourishing, increasing his outstanding vocabulary and easily identifying his shapes and colors. He could even count to 50 now. The best thing was, I hadn't heard the name Frank mentioned since we moved in. Not once. Not once, that is, until a mid-Saturday morning in the early onset of fall. The leaves were starting to rest on our new backyard lawn, and once again I found myself pushing Richie on the swing set. Back and forth, back and forth, with a rhythmic squeak of a swing set. That was until everything took a turn for the worst. Daddy, look, Richie exclaimed. There's Frank. He's here now. Richie pointed to the far back corner of the yard, right next to the shed. I turned my head to look. I thought I actually saw something. Something appeared to be in a large silhouette. Before I had time to fully comprehend what I had seen, I heard a thud of Richie hitting the ground, followed by cries of pain. A few hours later, the doctor entered the room with x-rays in the hand, confirming the suspicions of a broken arm. Luckily, it was one clean break. No setting of the bones would be needed. Although my son was going to be okay, I was livid with myself for allowing this to happen. How could I have been so stupid as to look away from my child while he was on a swing set? Right after, he let go of the chain to point at his imaginary friend. This whole situation could have been avoided had I not been so superstitious about this damned imaginary friend. But wait, I had seen something, hadn't I? It was only for a split second, but it was there. A tall, large shadow of a man with deformed head. Oh, my eyes must really be playing tricks on me. I brushed it off and eventually managed to fall asleep, pushing my parental guilt off to deal with the following day. Sleep proved to be just as unsettling as the day's events had been. My dreams brought memories of recent past. The swing set, Richie playing in our old house, having family over for holiday celebrations, even the day we bought baby Richie home for the first time, except that hideous, monstrous silhouette was there in every single memory, watching from the corner, standing behind our guests, leaning over the crib, always, always there watching. I awoke suddenly, bolted upright in my bed. I rarely remember even having dreams, but this dream was so vivid, so clear, that every detail now haunted my thoughts. Needless to say, falling back asleep was not an option. I had to go do something to set my mind at ease. Disturbed, I went over to check on my little Ricky, who was supposed to be asleep, partially to comfort myself from that horrendous nightmare. To my surprise, I found my boy wide awake. When he saw me peeking through the doorway, he asked, Daddy, where is hell? What? I asked in disbelief. Sure, I must have misheard. Hell, he said. Where is hell? I was not prepared to answer these kinds of questions to my child yet. He was too young. I myself have never really been sure what I believe about this heaven and hell stuff, having never been religious. I gave him the best simple explanation I could muster. Well, bud, nobody really knows where hell is, but some people believe that hell is the place where bad people go after they die. So was your daddy a bad guy, dad? Excuse me? That last question caught me off guard. Frank told me that your daddy is in hell because he hurt those kids. My heart skipping a beat, or three, my heartbeat, 
resurged with a powerful thump worthy of a bass drum. What the hell? How the hell could he have known about this? It was true that my father had hurt children, killed them actually. When I was young, about 12 years old, my dad had stormed out of the house drunk. The police came knocking at about 5 a.m. the next morning to inform us that he had been identified as involved in a multiple fatally car accident and they needed my mother to identify the body. I remember that morning vividly. My mother was not aware that I was awoken. As I hid around the corner listening to police talking to my mother, needless to say, it was him. As details emerged, it became apparent that my father had drunkenly caused a car accident, slamming into my family's minivan as they were coming home from a fishing trip. My father, along with two children in the back seat of the other car, were killed instantly. As much as my mother tried to shield me from the events, it was all over the news. I was 12 after all, and I knew how to use the internet. It didn't take long for me to know what my dad had done. That being said, there was absolutely no way my son could have known this story. My mother remarried years before Richie was born, and my stepfather is the only person my son has ever known as a grandpa, and I have never discussed the situation at all. At this point, I realized without a doubt that Frank was more than just an imaginary friend, and it angered me furiously. I told my son, no more talking to Frank, he's not welcomed here. But Frank is nice, Richie replied. No, Frank is not nice. Frank is bad, and if you see him again, you need to tell him to leave. No, Richie roared. Only the voice that came out did not belong to Richie. It sounded... It was a sound that no toddler could be capable of making. It was deep, dark, horrendous, malicious, and a rocky voice that would be fitting for a werewolf or a monster or, or a demon. What's worse is the fiery, despicable, evil look of pure hatred that was in my son's eyes. Although only for a moment, it was there. The expression on his face disappeared as quickly as it arrived, and Richie was Richie again. It was as if he had no idea what had just happened. He seemed totally fine, but I was terrified, terrified of my only son or whatever had just taken a hold of him. Can I watch a movie? He asked, completely unfazed by the event. I was as if he didn't even realize it happened. Ah, uh, of course, buddy. I managed to respond with a shaky voice. I carried him to the living room and put on the Lion King. After he fell asleep in the next 30 minutes, I went into the shower and simply fell apart as I broke into tears. What the hell had just happened? What was this? This monstrous thing grabbed a hold of my son. As I tried to explain the events to my wife, the ensuing morning, the next morning, she simply didn't believe me. I can't blame her. I realized that I sounded crazy, but I knew that indeed it happened. If only she had believed me. However, we had very little time to talk about it as Richie awoke that morning with a heavy fever. Originally at 101 degrees Fahrenheit, his temperature ra rapidly rose to 103 within just a couple of short hours. As I picked up my son to take him to the ER, I saw him, Frank, out of the corner of my eye watching. Richie was admitted immediately. The doctor scrambled to explain his condition with rapid deterioration. I sat by watching my son become pale and his energy was fading fast. Yes, my son was fading. He was dying. As the doctors ran tests on the top of tests on top of tests, 
I took matters into my own hands. I had three different priests arrive. All of them simply offered my son a simple blessing, but I could tell that they were spectacle of me. I tried desperately to get my wife and the doctors to listen to me. For two days, I pleaded with them to understand that I knew I was wrong, that there was a malicious, if not demonic, entity feeding off of my boy, sucking away his life, energy. Why, how? were questions in which the answer far past my understanding, but it was happening. I could even see him regularly now, the evil thing, standing in the shadows. I was met with skepticism, along with my wife, with the doctors, ended up bringing in a psychologist to have some sort of intervention for me. They tried to tell me that I was having some sort of mental breakdown from the stress of the sickness, possibly dying child. I stormed out of the room desperately furious. I realized in this moment that trying to explain the truth to people would have no avail. I had only one last idea that could be done, what had to be done to save my Richie. I stayed awake in the hospital room that night. It had been almost three days now since we arrived at the hospital. Richie had been moved to ICU, with the doctors still baffled. All their tests had shown what wasn't wrong with Richie. They didn't understand, but I knew. I knew what was wrong with my son. I sat there waiting. For the demon called Frank to appear. I stayed awake until about 2 a.m. and suddenly there he was. I could see the shadow standing over Richie's bed. He stood calmly but with an evil lust for that last little bit of energy that was keeping my son alive. I'll make you a deal, I said with a stern and confident tone. The entity slowly turned his head until he was facing me. I could see him now more clearly than ever. Richie was right. Frank was truly a monster, a large one standing at some eight feet tall with skin the color of ash. He had some overall shape of a human, but with hideous pointy features. His long, narrow arms hung down at his knees, ending with his fingers six inches or more in length. And his face? It was the most hideous of all. Frank had no mouth. Peeling face, and this is what I noticed. That's when I noticed his eyes. His eyes were the most terrorizing future about him. There was no white in his eyes, just darkness. A darkness darker than any black color that I could even comprehend. I'll make you a deal, I said again, forcing myself to stay steady in the presence of this creature. Leave my boy alone forever, and you can have me. The demon tilted his head, as if contemplating my offer. After a minute that seemed like hours, he strained up and spoke. Not with his mouth, as he didn't have one. No, he put on the sound directly into my skull in that deep evil voice that had previously come from my son just the other night. It's a deal. In an instant, he was gone. The next morning, Richie's fever had subsided. Just like that, the color had returned to his skin and he was eating solid food and laughing like a toddler should for the first time in days. The doctors admitted that they were baffled but happily discharged Richie later that day. My wife calls it a miracle, but only I understand the truth. I can feel it starting, the illness, or whatever you call it. My fever is spiking. I can't stop sweating. My energy is leaving me. I barely managed to walk up the stairs into the office. Even now, I feel as if I might pass out. I cannot hide my condition from my wife for too much longer. It is only a matter of time until I am the one in the hospital bed, as the doctors try tirelessly to explain what is happening. Only, I won't make a miraculous recovery as Richie had. No, I'm certain that I will die. That was the deal I had made after all. I gave up my own life to save my sons. But before I perish, I'm putting this story on every parenting and paranormal forum that I can find on the web. 
I know how this sounds. I realize it seems crazy, but I'm reaching out to all parents who might be seeing the signs. I plead with you. Please do not play along with your child if they see some sort of imaginary friend. Stop it before it's too late. Find someone who can expel that evil from your home or your child. But please, for the sake of your children, I beg you, do not allow that creature to take a hold of your child. And that's it. What did you guys think? I thought it was so sad that Richie thought he was nice. That was intense. Yeah, yeah. It's scary. I mean, kids are so innocent. He was like, no, he's friendly. Yeah. And then he just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Gonna kill oh. him. Spooky. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. That poor dad, too. Like, yeah. No one believing you, you'd feel so helpless. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I feel like like people at the hospital, you wouldn't even be able to figure that out. Though. Like, you can't. That's not something you can figure out. No, you definitely not in there in the training to become a doctor. That's yeah. crazy. What would you guys rate it? I, yeah, go for it, Delaney. Give it like an, I always want to give things eight. Yeah. But I feel like I should try to spice it up. But it does feel like an eight, like. That feels like an eight to me too. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. Maybe I'll give it a nine. Those are good guesses. It got an 8.9. Ooh. Oh. Oh, okay. Should we move on? Yeah. My next? I guess so. I think so. Yep. Take it away. All right. So this one, it's called A Shattered Life, written by Matt Dymersky on Creepypasta. I don't know when you're going to read this, but I can tell you when it started. I was out for a walk alone in the woods when the entity came for me. It was beyond a blur. It was, for lack of a better term, absence of meaning. Where it hid, there were no trees. Where it crept closer, there was no grass. Through the arc, it leapt at me. There was no breeze of motion. There was no air at all. As it struck, I felt the distinct sensation of claws puncturing me somewhere unseen, somewhere I'd never been felt before. My hands and arms and legs and torso seemed fine, and I wasn't bleeding, but I knew I'd been injured somehow. As I fearfully ran back home, I could tell that I was less. I was vaguely tired, and it was hard to focus at times. The solution at the early stage was easy. A big cup of coffee helped me feel normal again. For a while, that subtle drain on my spirit became lost, in the ebb and flow of caffeine in my system. You could say my life began that week, because it was when I met Mar. She and I got along great, though, to be honest, I'm pretty sure I fell in love with her over the phone before we even met. It was almost as if the strong emotions of that first week made the entity fight back. It was still with me, latched on to me, some invisible part of my being. The first few instants were minor, and I hardly worried about them. The color of a neighbor's car changed from dark blue to black one morning. I stared at it before shaking my head and shrugging off the difference. Two days later at work, a coworker's name changed from Fred to Dan. I carefully asked around then, but everyone said his name had always been Dan. I figured I'd just been mistaken. Then, as ridiculous as this sounds, I was peeing in my bathroom at home when I suddenly found myself on a random street. I was still in my pajamas, pants down, and urinating, but now in full view of a dozen people at a bus stop. Horrified, I pulled up my clothes and ran before someone called the cops. I did manage to get home, but the experience forced me to admit that I was in danger. The entity was doing something to me, and I didn't understand how to fight back. Mar showed up that evening, but she had her own key. Hey, I asked her with confusion. How do you get a key? She just laughed. 
you're cute. Are you sure you're okay with this? She opened a door and entered a room full of boxes. I know living together is a big step, especially when we've only been dating three months. Living together? I'd literally just met her the week before. Thing was, my mother had always called me a smart cookie for a reason. I knew when to shut my yap. Instead of causing a scene, I told her everything was fine, and I went straight to my room and began investigating. My things were just as I had left them, with no sign of a three-month gap in habitation. But I did find something out of the ordinary. The date. I shivered angrily as I processed the truth. The entity had eaten three months of my life. What the hell was I facing? What kind of creature could consume pieces of one's soul like that? I'd missed the most exciting part of a new relationship, and I would never understand any shared stories or in-jokes from that period. Something absurdly precious had been taken from me, and I was furious. That fury helped suppress the entity. I never invited alcohol. I drank coffee religiously. I checked the date every time I woke up. For three years, I managed to live each day while observing nothing more than minor alterations. A social fact here and there, someone's job and how many kids they had, that sort of thing. The layout of nearby streets, the time my favorite television show aired, that kind of thing. Always those changes reminded me that the creature still had its claws sunk into my spirit. Not once in three years did I ever let myself zone out. One day, I grew careless. I let myself get really into the season finale of my favorite show. It was gripping, a fantastic story. Right after the height of the action, a young boy came up to me and shook my arm. Surprised, I asked, who are you? How did you get in here? He laughed and smiled brightly. Silly daddy. My heart sank in my chest. I knew immediately what had happened. After a few masked questions, I discovered that he was two years old and he was my son. The agony and heartache filling my chest was nearly unbearable. Not only had I missed the birth of my son, I would never see or know the first years of his life. Mar and I had obviously gotten married and started a family in the time I'd lost, and I had no idea what joys or pains those years contained. It was snowing outside. Holding my sudden son on my lap, I sat and watched the flakes fall outside. What kind of life was this going to be if slips and concentration could cost me years? I had to get help. The church had no idea what to do. The priests didn't believe me and told me I had a health issue rather than some sort of possession. The doctors didn't have any clue. Nothing showed up on all of their scans and tests, but they happily took my money in return for nothing. By the time I ran out of options, I decided to tell Mar. There was no way to know what this all looked like from her side. What was I like when I wasn't there? Did I still take our son to school? Did I still do my job? Clearly I did, because she seemed to be none the wiser, but I had a horrible feeling that something must have been missing in her life when I wasn't actually home inside my own head. But the night I set up a nice dinner in preparation. She arrived not by unlocking the front door, but by knocking on it. She arrived not by unlocking the front door, but knocking on it. I answered and found that she was in a nice dress. She was happily surprised by the setting on the table. A fancy dinner for a second date? I knew you were sweet on me. Thank the Lord I knew when to keep my mouth shut. If I'd gone on about being married and having a son, she might have run for the hills. Instead, I took her coat and sat down for our second date. Through carefully crafted questions, I managed to deduce the truth. This really was our second date. She saw relief and happiness in me, but interpreted that as dating jitters. I was just as excited to realize that the entity wasn't necessarily eating whole proportions of my life. The symptoms, as I was beginning to understand them, were more like the consequences of a shattered soul. The creature had wounded me, broken me into pieces. Perhaps I was to live my life out of order, but at least I would actually get to live it. And so it went for a few years. From my perspective, while minor changes in politics or geography would happen daily, major shifts in my mental location only happened every couple months. When I found myself in a new place and time in my life, I just shut up and listened, making sure to get the lay of the land before doing anything to avoid making mistakes. 
on the farthest flung leap yet, I met my six-year-old grandson, and I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said, writer. I told him that was a fine idea. Then I was back in a month two of my relationship with Mar, and I had the best night with her on the river, friend. When I say the best, I mean the best. Knowing how special she would become to me, I asked her to move in. I got to live through what I'd missed the first go-around, and I came to understand that I was never mentally absent. I would just always be there eventually. When we were moving her boxes, we stopped for a moment and said she marveled at my great love, as if I'd known her for a lifetime and never once doubted she was the one. That was the first time I'd truly laughed freely and wholeheartedly since the entity had wounded me. She was right about my love for her, but for exactly the reason she'd considered a silly romantic analogy, I had known her my whole life, and I'd come to terms with my situation and found peace with it. It wasn't so bad to have to sneak peeks at all the best parts ahead, but of course I wouldn't be writing this if it hadn't gotten worse. The entity was still with me. It had not wounded me and departed like I wanted to believe. The closest I can describe my growing understanding was that the creature was burrowing deeper into my psyche, fracturing it into smaller pieces. Instead of months between major shifts, I began having only two weeks. And I noticed that trend. I feared my ultimate fate would be to jump between times in my life, heartbeat by heartbeat, forever confused, forever lost. Only an instant in each time meant I would never be able to speak with anyone else, never be able to hold a conversation, never express or receive love. As the true depth of that fear came upon me, I sat in an older version of me and watched the snow falling outside. That was the one constant in my life. The weather didn't care who I was or what pains I had to face. Nature was always there. The falling snow was always like a little hook that kept me in place. The pure emotional peace it brought me was like a band-aid on my mental wound, and I'd never yet shifted while watching the pattern of falling white and thinking of times I'd gone sledding or built a snow fort as a child. A teenager touched my arm. Grandpa? Hey. He'd startled me out of my thoughts, so I was less careful than usual. Who are you? He half grinned, as if not sure whether I was joking. Handing me a stack of papers, he said, It's my first attempt at a novel. Would you read it and tell me what you think? Ah, of course. Pursuing that dream of being a writer, I see. He burned bright red. Trying to, anyway. All right, run off. I'll read this right now. The words were blurry, and annoyed, I looked for glasses I probably had for reading. Being old was terrible, and I wanted to leap back into a younger year, but not before I read this book. I found my glasses in a sweater pocket and began leafing through. Mara puttered in and out of the living room, still beautiful, but I had to focus. I didn't know how much time I would have there. It seemed that we had relatives over. Was it Christmas? A pair of adults and a couple kids I didn't recognize tromped through the hallway, and I saw my son, now adult, walking by with his wife on the way out the door. As a group, the extended family began sledding outside. Finally, I finished reading the story, and I called out for my grandson. He rushed down the stairs and into the living room. How was it? Well, it's terrible, I told him truthfully. But it's terrible for all the right reasons. You're still a young man, so your characters behave like young people, but the structure of the story itself is very solid. I paused. I didn't expect it to turn out to be a horror story. He nodded. It's a reflection of the times. Expectations for the future are dismal, not hopeful like they used to be. You are far too young to be aware like that, I told him. An idea occurred to me. If you're into horror, do you know anything about strange creatures? Sure, I read everything I can. I love it. Warily, I scanned the entrances to the living room. Everyone was busy outside. For the first time, I opened up to someone in my life about what I was experiencing. In hushed tones, I told him about my fragmented consciousness. For a teenager, he took it well. You're serious? Yes. He donned that determined look of a grown man accepting a quest. I'll look into it. See what I can find out. 
You should start writing down everything you experience. Build some data. Maybe we can map your psychic wound. Wow. Sounds like a plan. I was surprised. That made sense. I hadn't expected him to have a serious response, but how will I get all the notes in one place? Let's come up with somewhere for you to leave them, he said, frowning with thought. Then I'll get them, and we can trace the path you're taking through your own life, see if there's a pattern. For the first time since the situation had gotten worse, I felt hope again. How about under the stairs? Nobody ever goes there. Sure, he said, turning and leaving the room. I peered after him. I heard him banging around near the stairs. Finally, he returned with the box, laid it on the carpet, and opened it to reveal a bursting stack of papers. He exclaimed, holy crap! But of course, being a teenager, he didn't really say crap. Taken aback, I blinked rapidly, forgiving his cussing because of the shock. Did I write those? He looked up at me with wonder. Yeah, or you will. You still have to write them and put them under the stairs after this. He gazed back down at the papers, then covered the box. So you probably shouldn't see what they say. That could get weird. That much I understood. Right, he gulped. There are like 50 boxes under there, all filled up like this. Deciphering these will take a very long time. His tone dropped to dead serious. But I will save you, Grandpa. Because I don't think anyone else can. Tears flowed down my cheeks and I couldn't help but sob once or twice. I hadn't realized how lonely I'd become in my shifting prison of awareness until I finally had someone who understood. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then I was young again. And at work on a random Tuesday. Once the sadness and relief faded, anger and determination replaced them. After I finished my work, I grabbed some paper and began writing. While these weeks shifted around me, while those weeks became days and then hours, I wrote every single spare moment about when and where I thought I was. I put them under the stairs out of order. My first box was actually the 13th, and my last box was the first. Once I had over 50 boxes written from my perspective, and once my shifting became a matter of minutes, I knew it was up to my grandson to take it from there. I put my head down and stopped looking. I couldn't stand the river of changing awareness any longer. Names and places and dates and jobs and colors and people were all wrong and different. I'd never been older. I sat watching the snowfall. A man of at least 30 and that I vaguely recognized entered the room. Come on, I think I finally figured it out. I was so frail that moving was painful. Are you him? Are you my grandson? Yes. He took me to a room filled with strange equipment and sat me in a rubber chair facing a large mirror twice the height of a man. The pattern finally revealed itself. How long have you been working on this? I asked him aghast. Tell me you didn't miss your life like I'm missing mine. His expression was both stone cold and furiously resolute. It'll be worth it. He brought two thin metal rods close to my arm and then nodded at the mirror. Look, this shock is carefully calibrated. The electric zap from his device was startling, but not painful. In the mirror, I saw a rapid arcing light silhouette appear above my head and shoulders. The electricity moved through this creature like a wave, briefly revealing the terrible nature of what was happening to me. A bulging leech-like mouth was wrapped around the back of my head, coming down to my eyebrows and touching each ear, and its slug-like body ran over my shoulder and into my very soul. It was a parasite, and it was feeding on my mind. My now adult grandson held my hand as I took in the horror. After a moment, he asked, Removing it is going to hurt very badly. Are you up for this? Fearful, I asked, Is Mar here? His face softened. No, not for a few years now. I could tell from his reaction what had happened, but I didn't want it to be true. How? We have this conversation a lot, he responded. Are you sure you want to know? It never makes you feel better. Tears brimmed in my eyes, and I don't care if it hurts or if I die. I don't want to stay in a time where she's not alive. 
He made a sympathetic noise of understanding and then returned to his machines to hook several wires, diodes, and other bits of technology to my limbs and forehead. While he did so, he talked. I've worked for two decades to figure this out, and I've had a ton of help from other researchers of the occult. This parasite doesn't technically exist in our plane, it's one of the lesser spawns, and it feeds on the plexus of mind, soul, and quantum consciousness, or reality. When details like names and colors of objects changed, you weren't going crazy. The web of your existence was merely losing strands as the creature ate its way through you. I didn't fully understand. I looked up in confusion as he placed a circuit of electronics like a crown on my head in the exact line with where the parasite's mouth had ringed me. What breed of parasite? He paused his work and grew pale. I forgot that you wouldn't know. You're lucky, believe me. After a deep breath, he began moving again and placed his finger near a few switches. Ready? This is carefully tuned to make your nervous system extremely unappetizing to the parasite. It's basically electroshock therapy. I could still see Mars smile even though she was dead. It had just been with her moments ago. Do it. The click of the switch echoed in my ears, and I almost laughed at how mild the electricity was. It didn't feel like anything, at least at first. Then I saw the mirror shaking and my body within that image convulsing. Oh no, it did hurt. Nothing had ever been more painful. It was just so excruciating that my mind hadn't been able to immediately process it. As my vision shook and fire burned in with every nerve in my body, I could see that the reflected, trembling light silhouette of the parasite on my head as it writhed in agony equal to mine. It had claws, six clawed, lizard-like limbs under its leech-like body, and it cut into me in an attempt to stay latched on. The electricity made my memories flare. Mars' smile was foremost, lit brightly in front of a warm fire as the snow fell past the window behind her. The edges of that memory began lighting up, and I realized that my life was one continuous stretch of experience. It was only the awareness of it that had been fragmented by that feasting evil on my back. I'd never managed to be there for the birth of my son. I jumped around it a dozen times but never actually lived it. For the first time, I got to hold Mars' hand and be there for her. No, no, that moment had shifted seamlessly into holding her hand as she lay in a hospital bed for a very different reason. Not this. God, why? It was so merciless to make me remember this. I broke down in tears as nurses rushed into the room. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to experience it. I'd seen all the good parts, but I hadn't wanted the worst part. The inevitable end that all would face one day. It wasn't worth it. It was tainted. All that joy was given back 10,000-fold as pain. The fire in my body and my brain surged to sheer white torture and I screamed. Yeah! My scream faded into a surprised shout as the machine and electricity and chair faded away. Snow was no longer falling around my life. I was in the woods on a bright summer day. Oh god. I turned to see the creature approaching me. It was the same absence of meaning, the same blank on reality. It crept forward, just like before, but this time it hissed and turned away. I stood, astounded at being young again and freed from the parasite. My grandson had actually done it. He'd made me an unappetizing meal. So the predator of mind and soul had moved on in search of a different snack. I returned home in a daze. And while I was sitting there processing all that had happened, the phone rang. I looked at it in awe and sadness. I knew who it was. It was Marjorie calling me for the same first time for some trivial reason she'd admit 30 years later was made up just to talk to me. But all I could see was her lying in the hospital bed dying. I was going to end up in unspeakable pain and loneliness. I would become an old man left to sit by myself in an empty house, the soulmate gone long before him. At the end of it all, the only thing I would have left, sitting, watching the snow fall. But now, thanks to my grandson, I would also have my memories. It would be a wild ride, no matter how it ended. On a second impulse, I picked up the phone. With a smile, I said, hey, who's this? Even though I already knew. All done.
That was kind of adorable. I loved that one. I like that. Like, it until the end, when he was, like, talking about the, like, leech thing coming out of him, I did not like that part. Yeah, that was... Um, yeah. But, like, everything else was so cute. Do you want to know something really cute? So, I think the story is actually written about um, the person who wrote it. grandfather has Alzheimer's. <gasps> so, it's, like, the pieces of life and... That's pretty cute. Wow, that makes me really sad. That is sweet. I know, right? That's so sad. But it's all like I like the story because it's scary. Because you're like, what's going on? Like it made me nauseous the jumping through time and stuff. But then at the end, he's like, look, I know this is gonna suck, but it's worth it. And I thought that was really cute. Yeah, she's worth it. Mm Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, that was cute. Well, I'm gonna give that a ten out of ten just because it um warmed my heart a lot oh it's the highest one we've ever gotten the first 10 out of 10 oh and it's from me yeah and it's from you normally you're like ah three (laughs) (laughs) threes (laughs) linda what do you think i'm gonna continue and give it a 10 to watch it literally get an actual five or something though (laughs) it's actually got a two and a half i didn't know i'm kidding (laughs) um i would also give it a 10 like, I can't think of a way it could really be much better than that. Yeah. You know? And I honestly think that it ended really well. Like, I feel like some of the other ones we've read have been, like, hit and miss with the ending. Yeah. But that one, like, was strong all the way throughout. It was, for sure. But for the first time, I think, the creepy past the people actually rated it lower than us and gave it a 9.13 out of 10. Okay. Okay, pretty close. But that is from 1.81 thousand really a lot of people have liked it holy that's a lot of votes yeah i think the last one i read had like 15 it's a lot okay guys are we ready for our final story of the series (laughs) yes i am so ready let's go okay so this one is called out of the woods and it was submitted to creepypasta anonymously so hopefully it's as good as that last one when i was a child it was just me and my mother we lived in a property owned by my grandma a three-story old farmhouse right at the fringe of the woods it was far off the road down a long unlit gravel driveway it felt very isolated at night being so distant from any other houses set in an area that hadn't been inhibited for 30 years before we started living in it Quite often, I was a fairly rambunctious child, so while my mom went off to work, I would occasionally skip the morning bus to school and stay home alone all day. The big house had a habit of feeling incredibly lonely and sparse, so I spent most of my time playing in the forest out back. Some distance into the woods, far enough that I couldn't hear my mother when she called, there was a toppled pine tree which had crashed into another. An even larger trunk on its way down was now frozen there, forming a long arc over the forest floor. I loved to climb up the jagged stump at the base of this fallen tree and then steady myself to a point just above the middle. I was never able to make it all the way to the top because it just got too steep for me to continue any farther, and I had a bad habit of freaking out from how high up I was. One day, I was sitting in my usual spot on the fallen tree, which was a good distance from the ground, just listening to the birds singing and simultaneously feeling the warmth of the sun on my neck when I heard something strange from underneath that paralyzed me in shock. Hey, kid. 
I was gripped by a sudden, strong surge of fear for a moment. The voice had come from directly underneath me. I strained to look down but couldn't see anything over the ledge. For a long time, I just sat there in absolute silence and was at the point where I was almost soon to convince myself that I had imagined hearing a man's voice at all. I know you can hear me. His voice was much louder this time. As I yelled something out and scrambled up the log a bit higher, trembling nervously, I dug my fingernails into the bark and held tight for dear life. I sat there trying to collect my nerves for God knows how long. Although I couldn't see it, the presence of the thing underneath me was still clear. The bird song was much softer and more cautious this time. And when I listened closely, I swear I could hear the faintest echo of human breathing. Gathering all my courage, I vowed to prove to myself that it was all my imagination by leaning over the ledge as far as I possibly could without slipping off. Digging hard into the bark behind me, I stretched out along my arms and peered over, getting a full view of the empty forest floor and undergrowth, when suddenly, Come down here or I'll come up and grab you. It was so loud, it was as if I was being screamed right in my face. I released my grip on the tree in fright and plunged off my platform. I was saved only by grabbing a nearby branch, and for one awful second, my bare legs dangled in the cool air. When I pulled myself up, I ran at full speed to the top of the collapsed pine, to the point I had never reached before. I sat there just below the rustling canopy, pissing myself and staring at the distant base where the splintered rose wood rose, fully expecting at any moment to see someone crawling rapidly up the pine towards me. Instead, all I heard was the wind whistling in the leaves above me and occasional snippets of birdsong. It was about two hours before my mother got home and found me, after much worrying, searching, trembling, and crying at the top of the fallen tree. Although this incident spooked both me and my mother, in time I somehow recovered, exhibiting that naive, hard skin of a child. Although I never went as far into the forest as I used to, and I never again even approached that fallen tree. Once, when I was 12, I had the chore of taking firewood from the shed out back, just at the edge of the woods, and to bring it back inside the house. It was a tiresome job, and I always chose to do it at dusk when the air was brimming with mosquitoes and swampy fog that usually coated the lawn. By the time I had made my last round, I would sprint back to the house spooked. One of my least favorite things about this job was that the shed was full of barn owls. If you have ever seen a barn owl's face staring at you from a dark roof corner, then you will know how uncomfortable that shed made me feel. One of these nights, it got mistier than it had ever been before. A thick silver fog covered everything and limited my line of sight to a short sphere around me. Even though the shed wasn't far from the house, I found myself feeling disoriented, and more than once I walked in the wrong direction. Both times, for some reason, walking straight into the woods. By the time I had reached my last load, it was too foggy to see the street. My eyes stung with the moisture, and it made my vision blur. Lurching forward, I managed to walk headfirst into a tree, doubling over and dropping all the wood I was bundling at my feet with a hard crunch. As I went to pick them up, my foot was throbbing pretty hard. I realized that the ground was too misty for me to see my own knees. I decided to head to the house since we had more than enough wood for one night. However, it was going to be pretty dark and I couldn't make out any signifiers of which direction I was headed in. Even though I cautiously walked for several feet in all directions trying to figure out my position in the mist, I couldn't figure out any point of identification. I couldn't even locate the fence or the gate and the more I walked, the more I seemed to stumble into trees, pine needles and mud crunching under my feet instead of dew-covered lawn. After a while, I finally realized that I couldn't even find the shed anymore. Cursing myself for being so dumb while trying to ignore my thumping heart and sense that something else was at play, I became aware that I was lost somewhere in the fringe of the forest. 
screaming out for my mother at the loudest possible volume was only met with resounding silence from the depths of the mist all around from where I stood, affirming that I had wandered too far from the house to be heard. As a deep panic started to settle on me, I noticed a glimpse of something pink moving across a nearby pine trunk. Coming closer, I saw that it was a ripped out square of pink paper. On there was an arrow pointing left. Looks vaguely like something my mom might make, I rationalized to keep me from getting lost. So foolishly, I followed the direction set by that green arrow, shivering in the increasing cold. I kept walking on for about five or ten minutes before needing to stop to take a breath. My heart was pounding so fast it was beginning to hurt as I was sitting down. However, I spied what appeared to be another note fluttering on a nearby trunk. I noticed that this one was embedded with a long nail. It bore another arrow, this one pointing up, and a small, sloppily written note that said, This way. Despite my increasing panic, I convinced myself that these notes were my only shot at getting back before nightfall. I was desperate to get the hell out, and my brow was cold with sweat, so I followed the green arrow to a point where I could just dimly make out another spot of pink, up an incline of collapsed stump and leaf litter. At this point, it was getting pretty dark. I had to strain both eyes just to see a few meters ahead of me. Following the green arrows, feeling less and less sure of where I was, I stumbled through the woods, groping out in the mist to feel for trees. I came across a third green note, which had another arrow pointing up again. This one led to an increasingly steep slope that I didn't recognize being anywhere near my house, with a poorly drawn smiley face right above it. At this stage, I became too freaked out to cope and started to cry a little. As I slumped against the pine stump, the possibility that I would be out in these woods all night was beginning to sink in like a syringe being driven into my veins within my arm. I caught a glimpse of another pink square in the near distance. Squinting hard, unnerved by these notes, all of which looked fresh and without any sign of decay, despite the week's nonstop rain, I read it from afar. What I had read made my blood turn cold. I stood to my knees, dead silently, wobbling on them in fear. My ears were sensitive to any tiny prickle of noise in the mist. For a long time, I stood there in the fog, rolling, reading and rereading that horrible note over and over again before snapping a stick somewhere behind me and it caused me to sprint blindly, twigs snagging at my ankles and cutting my face as I ran. Written on the note in big green letters was my name. It felt like I was running for hours. All the while, the rain and the mist lapped at the back of my neck like a decaying breath of someone running right behind me. Somehow, I made it back to the house. All of the lights were off, and I struggled to find the keys for a moment. When I found them, I bolted indoors and quickly crawled into bed where I remained unsleeping till morning. Mom just thought I'd come inside and gone to bed and hadn't thought to leave the lights on. It was a miracle, aka some freakish coincidence that I even found the house at all. The final incident at that damn house was witnessed only by my mother. Up until then, she had never experienced any of the strange things I had, although we mutually shared the peculiar oppressive quality that the house's interior had on us and its placement in its dreary, imposing woods. Although I was obviously never a popular kid, living way out in the country, in the opposite direction from everyone else at my school, I did make some tight friends in the first year of high school. One of these friends, Amanda was her name, invited me over one night and I accepted. My mother drove me out to the place, which was about three miles away, and then drove back home. The night went well, we watched a horror movie, suitably, devoured some pizza, and probably smoked a little pot. My mother went home alone where she intended to get some writing done. She worked for a magazine at that point. It was about midnight when I received an off-putting text from my mom in all caps. Is this a prank? I need to know immediately. Thinking it was some kind of joke, I texted back, Calm yourself. Is what a prank? Almost immediately, the response, Are you at the house? 
Of course, I responded, no, though I was thoroughly weirded out. I didn't receive another text message until around 3 a.m. when she told me to go to my grandma's in the morning and to not by any means dare go home. I remember those bleak torrents of rain the day I went to my grandmother's and how terribly soaked I was when I finally got there. It was nearly two towns away. I had to fight the temptation to go home and drop off my bags, but my mom's disturbing messages from the night before were enough warning not to do so. When I arrived, my mom and grandma were having lunch. At first, my mother seemed to be in some sort of a composed state, but when I got a better look at her, I noticed all of the color had drained from her face and she was slightly trembling. At one point, she even sent a small glass clashing to the floor after flinching at the cat brushing around her ankles. It wasn't until later that night when my grandma was sound asleep that she told me what happened. She went further as to forbid me from telling my grandma out of fear that it would horrify her superstitious soul too much. This was what happened the night when I was at Amanda's, as she described in lurid detail. My mother was sitting on the first story in the living room, where she sat on the couch by the fire. Curtains opened to the view of the sunset on the canopy, going over her latest draft. At first, it was so faint that she barely noticed it. But after a while, my mother became aware and vaguely irritated by tiny thumping noises in her head at the window. When she went over to investigate, she saw fat brown moths of some kind, that we often got at that place, buzzing madly into the glass. Reasoning that this was the cause of the sound, she returned to her work, however feeling rattled. It was when the noises started to get sharper and louder that she paid more attention and saw that rocks were being thrown at the window from the total blackness of the forest edge. She saw them appear from the shadows of the bush and then fall in an arc and bounce off the window. Looking carefully, she could see small cracks where from where some heavy stones had hit right beside where her head had been moments before. Temporarily captivated, she tried to peer into the darkness enough to make out where the rocks were being thrown from. Then, with a startled shock, she jumped back from the window as she saw me standing half behind a tree right near the window, grinning wide and staring at her, my one visible eye stretched wide open, showing all the white. She barely stifled a scream, just seeing her own daughter standing there, staring and smiling. Not only did the figure not move or blink, it was standing by one of the nearest pines, far from where the rocks were shooting up out of the bush, as they continued to do so in a loud downpour. My face increasingly continued to press out at her, smiling. Thinking this was some kind of sick prank, hence the later text, my mother shouted my name at the top of her lungs, frightened to the core. However, instead of responding, the mouth of the thing, that looked like me, behind the tree just started moving as if it were mouthing silent words really, really fast. Suddenly, it turned its head to the side and seemed to be talking to someone else behind the tree, my mom said, who couldn't be seen. But she could see a formless black shape hanging against the other side of the tree. The girl that looked like me kept staring at my mother and doing the silent speed talking thing, then turning and whispering to the thing next to her. Then she would turn back and start it all up again. Then, breaking the monotonous spell, she suddenly pointed straight at my mother and started laughing. (laughs) My mother screamed and fled up to my bedroom on the second story, the only room with a working lock, where she shut herself in and sat at the far end of the bed as the rocks began to pitter-patter against the window downstairs, dry heaving and weeping in fear. In my room, my mother said she did not feel safe. There was an awful smell and a weird humming noise in the walls, as she described. She tried to pray for a time before giving up and just listening to the rocks pelt the walls and windows somewhere in the kitchen. The weird, continuous humming kept going in the walls as well. Listening more carefully, she could identify it as the softest hint of a mumbling voice. In absolute horror, she recognized the voice and then 
virtually too afraid to look, she tilted her head up to the closet door where an awful white face could be seen staring right at her, mouth contorting and gaping in what sounded like highly sped up whispering. The closet door was only a meter from my mother. It started to open slowly. In an unimaginable explosion of terror, she immediately bolted to the door, only to fumble with the lock as bigger and bigger rocks came crashing through the window, which burst apart in a spray of glass shards. Before finally getting out, running out of the house, and completely keeping her eyes off the woods, getting into her car and driving off. She said that as she glanced back, right at the end of the prolonged driveway, she saw two unmistakably human forms standing at the broken bedroom window. Watching as her car got further and further away from our house, this would be their final farewell, as my mother never stepped foot in that place again. As my mother told this story, she broke down into tears. I didn't doubt her, and I still don't. I honestly and fully believe that she experienced what she says she did. It was also quite clear that we were done living in that house once and for all. I only went back once with my dad, who I see very rarely. He came from another state to help us move. Mom had already found a place in town and moved in. My dad and I had just loaded up the truck with all that was left inside there. It was a silent, sunny morning when we moved all of the stuff and emptied the place. I wish I could say that there was some sort of closure, some final spooking to cap it all off, but there wasn't. It was just a relief to be out of there. There are, however, only two things left worth mentioning. One, when we checked the house for any signs of intruders, we found that several windows, including the one in my bedroom and in the kitchen, had been smashed and rocks were lying on the floor. Two, dad went out into the trees for a bit to take a leak. When he came back, he asked how long we'd had the swing set for. Needless to say, we'd never had a swing set, so I was fairly unsettled to discover that in the weeks since we'd been gone, someone had assembled a rope swing set from one of the highest branches of the old pine over the ridge, against which was the falling log I'd stopped to climb so many years ago. It was obviously new rope and a nicely polished, sanded down wooden seat at the base. Dad, wanting to keep my mind from recent events, said that a neighbor probably set it up, not realizing it was on our property. Of course, he knew as well as I did that we had literally no neighbors for at least a mile in any direction. There were no houses in all that space, and never in my time of living there did I ever see any other signs of human life. But I let it all go and was pleased enough just to say good riddance to that horrible place as we drove off for good. For the most part, I found it best to try and forget what happened at that place. Sometimes, I just can't help but ponder it, though, as it's been long enough now that I can no longer feel scared talking about it, but for a long while, I couldn't. That is it. That one was so scary. That one was spooky. Oh, wow. That was spooky. Right? I could yeah, literally, yeah. Really build a picture in your head. Yeah. Like, especially the mom. I could picture, and, like, like the backyard and, like, all the woods. Oh, that was creepy. And, like, the fast talking. Whatever. And knowing oh. that they live so far away from everything. Yeah. Like, it's hard to be like, oh, it's just the neighbors. Wait, there are no yeah. neighbors. Yeah, that was spooky. Woo! Um, well, first of all, I also feel like it was kind of creepy just because it was anonymous. Exactly. That oh. is creepy. Now that you say that, I feel like that just that just added like a little bit of spook to it. I think I'd give that one like a nine. Um, but Kate Delaney, you're gonna rate it a nine? Yeah, I think like it was spooky. It was long, but I feel like it had to be long, so I'd say a nine. Yeah, it had to be long. Also, I fully did not expect it to be a girl either telling this story. I Don't ask me why. I thought it was a boy. I don't know why. I felt girl the whole way through. Yeah, me too. Really? Yeah. Wow, you guys. 
Okay, Linda, what are you going to rate it? I'm going to give it an 8.5. Okay, well, out of 165 votes on Creepypasta, this bad boy got a 9.18 out of 10. Oh, wow. Right? Your guesses are so good, Delaney. I know. Delaney's like a pro at Creepypasta. <laughs> Thank you. I just tend to rate high, I think. I feel too bad to give anyone a low mark. <laughs> and everyone else on Creepypasta feels the same way. I guess so. <laughs> Thank you so much Thanks, for guys. staying around to listen to all of Bye. those spooky stories. Bye. I hope that you will join us for some more next week. Bye.